Good morning. Welcome to another episode of The Chief End, the podcast where we argue that the chief end of man is humility. Uh, What's up, podcast listeners? This is episode 10 of Chief End, and continuing in the vein of alliteration, which has littered the last handful of episodes, uh, this is going to take the form of the letter V. I'm calling this thing vices that have become virtues and vice versa. (laughs) Vices that have become virtues and vice versa. Um, Hope you guys have been well. Um, Before I get into vices that have become virtues and vice versa, uh, a couple housekeeping items. One, I realized this week that I've been having an issue with the uh, email. So if you have sent any questions to podcast at chiefend.org the last two weeks or so, um, there has been an issue um, which I have since resolved. So um, if you sent questions, you'll likely want to resend them um, because that has not been working. So if you have questions for the podcast, questions uh, it's podcast, podcast at chiefend.org. Um, and you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to pause this real quick. I'm going to sit down for this episode. I don't feel like standing up one second, please. And I'm back. Um, and stupid podcast. That means I have to splice audio files together again, uh, which isn't, which isn't good, but I am settled comfortably. I did not feel like standing. Um, I've told my secretary that today is a study day, Uh, so I will be playing 18 holes of golf a little bit later, Uh, going to see a movie, taking my Harley out for a long ride, and uh, meanwhile, anybody who calls with any pastoral cares or concerns, um, we'll just have to get forwarded to the intern lackey down the hallway, um, because they need to know that my study days are protected and that my study days are for me to get face-to-face with the Lord to craft out my message. Um, When, in reality, we can't let them know. We cannot let them know that actually my study days consist of of me playing golf, watching movies, um, eating at expensive restaurants, and uh, just general tomfoolery. (laughs) Uh, In fact... Uh, you go, what, what are you talking about? Um, well, that's just speaking from experience with churches of years past, uh, where that was the kind of the general, um, vein was, oh, the pastor has study days Tuesday through Thursdays. So he's unavailable for pastoral things because he's crafting his New York times bestselling message. I mean, a book, I mean, sermon, um, and, uh, he does not have time for the, uh, ills and, and pains and sorrows of the uh, revenue streams or congregants. Um, so I figured all these all these podcasts have taken a dark turn towards the end. So I figured I'd just get all of the jadedness out on the front side and then maybe end this thing on a positive note. Um, and we'll probably listen to some Hillsong at the end uh, just to lift our spirits up. Um, so... I have I have on the podcast outline right here to allocate about 18 minutes um, of Hillsong time so that we can get through about three uh, three stanzas. Not even stanzas, just three lines. We can sing three lines over and over again for 18 minutes. 
And at some point, I think we'd probably either pass out from hyperventilating or maybe have some sort of epiphany. Um, it's yet to be seen because I've never tried it. I've never tried the Hillsong euphoria. All right, so there's the negative turn. <laughs> no, when I sat down, it just reminded me of going, oh man, I don't have the energy to stand up. And it reminded me of uh, making fun of, of pastors who have fake study days. And you go, you're so jaded. Why? They don't have fake study days. There's actually a, uh, it's actually the, the firm when Mark Driscoll got busted for his plagiarism scandal. Um, there's a firm that is up in, uh, near a seminary down here in the Southeast. And it's run by a couple of former seminary students. And they run a business where they're the research arm for big pastors. And one of their clients was Mark Driscoll. So Mark Driscoll sends in his sermon notes, and then they go about kind of compiling them into a book. Um, and this was even popular when I was working at the megachurch. The, the, the pastor had um, a budget for uh, research stuff. And so he would send out, instead of actually doing, you know, the digging through the George Barna survey <laughs> in order to make his uh, culturally relevant points, um, he would just farm that out to some research firm and then they would send him back all this stuff, which is why, which is why to this day I continue to joke about pastors having study days um, when really they're just excuses to goof around and avoid all of the problems in the church, like, you know, people having marital problems and uh, unhealthy children and, you know, dying grandmothers. Oh, uh, well, I, I can't trouble myself with that. That's waiting tables. Look at Acts, people. I can't, I can't leave the word of God to go take care of uh, hurting souls in my congregation. I'll kick that too. The unpaid interns who are my cheap free labor. <laughs> um, so I'm sitting down um, lounging with my piping hot espresso. I've told my secretary that uh, it is a study day, um, so I will not be receiving any interruptions. And if I do, they will feel the full blunt and force and fury of the church discipline arm, which in the non-denominational case uh, just consists of uh, an attorney and police officers delivering restraining orders. So there we go. No, what I wanted to talk about was the VVVVVs, the Vs. Uh, vices becoming, wait, well, how'd I say it? Virtues becoming vices. No, the other way around. Vices becoming virtues and vice versa. <laughs> And, of course, this topic came out of um, reading Aristotle to the kids last night. And uh, I'll, I'll give you a second to uh, digest that one. Um, but, yeah, I, I, read, I read all kinds of things to the kids. Um, and last night it just so happened to be uh, sort of an essay. I don't know if they were actually called essays back in the day. Um, essay? Essay? Yo, essay, what's up? That used to be a thing in, in Albuquerque. Yo, essay. I don't think they're referring to the, the written paper. It was more like a, yo, homie, what's up? Um, essay, my man. Page me. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know if they were actually called essays in Aristotle's day. Um, but it took the form of an essay in the book that I was reading out of last night. And Aristotle had a, it was probably a discourse back in the day. It was probably a, a discourse. He probably delivered it via... Uh, an, an oral discourse on looking at courage and bravery and what constituted 
uh, a brave man, a courageous man. And you're going, wait, wait a second, I thought you were reformed. How are you, how are you taking uh, bravery and courage and, and talking about him in a Christian podcast? Well, give me a second to explain my position, Mr. Impatient Podcast Listener. Uh, so in this, in this essay, he looks at what it means to be a courageous individual. And he contrasts two extremes in the vein of what people think is courageous. And the first extreme he mentions is audacity, the audacious man. And he says that the, what, he says what the brave man is, the audacious man wishes to appear. And he goes into this discussion of the audacious man really doesn't have true courage. They're just, they're wishing for people to appear for them to be courageous. And their activity takes the result of brash behavior, uh, not looking at risks properly, being presumptuous, uh, being loud and obnoxious. And they're hoping that that makes people view them as being brave when really it's just audacity. And that jumped off the page at me, like the proverbial sore thumb, um, because that is definitely something uh, that has become a virtue in the church the last at least 10 years, uh, maybe a little bit longer. And we're going to go back to Chief N's favorite whipping boy here, uh, Stephen Furtick, um, because it imme immediately made me think of his book, Audacious, that he released. I don't know. What was that? What was that? A atrocity of a book. Um, Audacious Faith. Oh, no, no. I guess it wasn't called Audacious. It was subtitled Audacious. Um, oh, man. This, this guy's written a lot of books. My favorite, who's this? Who wrote this one? Oh, that's Stephen Furtick. Yeah, my favorite is, um, wow, Crash the Chatterbox, right? So the book that I was referencing with Audacious was um, a book he wrote called Sun, Sun Stand Still. And it's subtitled, What Happens When You Dare to Ask God for the Impossible? And he had this whole promo thing um, surrounding audacious faith, having audacious faith, that if you just had the chutzpah to ask God for anything, what would happen? Um, where, what is this? Audacious faith? I thought I could have sworn it was called um, audacious faith by Furtick. No, apparently not. But man, it sure has become a popular thing. Wow. Holy cow, it's Furtick, hey Furtick, FYI there, pal, you're not in good company because one of the top Google results when I search for audacious faith is the Mormon church saying that it is the unique power and singular appeal of the LDS doctrine is to have audacious faith. Red flags, red flags, you might want to start tapping the brakes there, buddy. Um, interesting, interesting, interesting. So anyway... Aristotle, um, who I'm not at all trying to equate with the Bible, he, 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 in 350 BC, in this essay slash oral delivery, uh, gave, made the point 
that audacity was a vice. And he talked about how it was an unnamed vice and it was a, a deceptive vice because it kind of on the surface looks like true bravery and courage, but it's really not. Um, and so here we are, what, 2000, so we're 2300, and oh, 68 years, 2,368 years removed from him writing that, uh, and the church is diving headlong into having this whole construct of having, being audacious, having audacious faith. And we're, we, the church is leading the charge in turning this vice into a supposed virtue. And it's bad enough on just a societal front, like remove faith and the Bible and all that stuff from the equation for a moment, just on a societal level, to have a bunch of jackasses walking around pretending to be brave and pretending to be courageous when in reality, they're just a bunch of grandstanding, um, audacious clowns. That's not good for the strength of a society. When you put, when you overlay and sort of interject the spiritual component on that, um, with faith and the Bible and saying, and saying that God wants you to be audacious, uh, you, in a lot of ways, you're you're saying God wants you to be presumptuous because Aristotle equates um, being audacious to to having being full of presumption, not seeing dangers for what they really are, um, and. I think this is something, if you've been around evangelicalism for a long time, or even a short period of time, maybe you've only been around evangelicalism for two years or five years or ten years, um, we begin. it becomes, it, it's sort of the unspoken in some, some ways and, and spoken in others, it sort of becomes the measuring stick for your spirituality as a Christian. How audacious is your faith? Um... And I think it puts an undue burden and an undue stress on the daily life of the Christian because you're constantly asking yourself if you're having enough faith to be a world changer. And you could probably trace this back to the roots of the, the 90s, you know, the mid 90s with Delirious being a world changer. I want to be a history maker. Um, I remember that song being sung in youth group ad infinitum um, in gusto with, with much, with much uh, vigorous bass plucking and drum banging uh, and guitar riff leading. I want to be a history maker in this land. Woohoo! Um, I don't think they had the woohoo in there, but that was the whole setup. The whole setup was you will prove you're a Christian by how much history you can make, i.e. how famous you can get i.e. how audacious you can be in pumping your up your own ego under the guise of appearing brave for the gospel, I think is probably what it boils down to. Um, so, all of that to say, that's, that's, that's the podcast title, A Vice Becoming a Virtue. Um, and vice versa. <laughs> vice versa. And the vice versa of that is obviously the opposite, the antithesis. Um, that true courage, true bravery, which Aristotle says is uh, meek and quiet and steadfast, that's gone out the door, and that's, that's viewed as a vice. So if you remain in the calling wherein you are called, to quote scripture, 
and you do that faithfully and quietly and consistently, it's somehow implied, or in some, in some cases maybe explicitly stated, that you're not being faithful as a Christian. Where's your audacious faith, housewife? Where's your audacious faith, number cruncher? Where's your audacious faith, uh, registered nurse? You're just showing up for your shifts every day for 12 hours and going through the same boring motions of giving people IVs and medication and checking their blood pressure and patching up wounds. Oh, where's your audacious faith, nurse? Where's your audacious faith, number cruncher person? Oh, you don't have any. You're, you're boring and, and not just boring, there, there's spiritual value um, assigned to that and it's negative value. It's like a spiritual liability. So that's the vice versa side of this thing is, is we're assigning, we're assigning a spiritual asset to being presumptuous, being bold, being braggadocious, being brash, uh, really being a circus act. We're assigning spiritual value to that. And then on the flip side, the vice versa side, <laughs> wonder how many podcasts I can continue with just ridiculous alliteration. That's probably going to be my new challenge here. Hold on. I'm going to pull up the list. So episode nine was devil and depravity. That's some decent alliteration. Episode eight, I got a little, little loose, got a little unhinged on that one. Mini messiahs and maintenance masquerading as ministry. <laughs> a lot of M's. Oh, Calvinism leads to Arminianism. None. Oh, episode six, I got a little loose too. Slaves to systems versus servants of Christ. But there was the three S's, but a V and a C in there. Uh... Oh, and then making mountains out of molehills in order to avoid actual mountains. And then episode one, wherever that mysterious episode has gone to. I actually found it and I listened to it. And I don't know if I'm ever going to post it because it sounds like I'm a little bit insane. The audio quality is terrible. It sounds like I'm in a bunker somewhere preparing for Y2K. Um, so that thing might never see the light of day. Um, who knows? Maybe it will. <laughs> So yeah, I'm going to, so I'm on three in a row here. Episode eight, episode nine, and episode 10 are alliterated quite well. So uh, it might be a fun personal challenge to just alliterate the heck out of this thing. And I'm in good company. I mean, every good pastor knows that it's not a God-glorifying sermon unless it's chock full of alliterative points. That's just the way the spirit moves. And if you don't like it, well, you're being divisive. Um, so here we go. Audacious faith. I wonder what other books have been written as a springboard from this disaster. Yeah, I mean, Google Audacious Faith. Um, wow, it's everywhere. Memes, pictures. Oh, here's an Audacious Faith. Dr. Fred Toke. That's an interesting last name. wonder if he actually tokes on the marijuana, um, which reminds me of the prayer of Habez, marijuana. <laughs> So he's got a new sermon series starting July 2015. Dude, update your update your webpage, homie. Um, actually, this is the Google Archive. This is probably in his blog archives. Anyway, audacious faith. Audacity and fear can't coexist. And his image is an elephant balancing on a rope dangling between two canyons, like two cliffs making a canyon. So, I don't understand that. 
Newbridge Church, Audacious Faith. It shows a guy leaping Jason Bourne style between two skyscraping buildings. See what I'm talking about? Aristotle hit it on the head. Not even in a Christian context, he hit it on a head. Audacity is not recognizing true danger. It's being flippant in the face of true danger. This guy, this guy's stinking parkouring between two skyscrapers in urban somewhere, and they're making it a virtue. Another one. Joey Bonifacio. What, was he on Jersey Shore? Who is this guy? Joey Bonifacio YouTube channel. Audacious Faith. Subtitle, Dare to Believe. And it shows a guy free soloing on a cliff. He's dangling by his fingertips on some protruding cliff. Dare to believe. Audacious faith. Church on the rock. Audacious faith. A willingness to take surprisingly bold risks. This is a little bit tamer. This is some person... I can't tell if it's a guy or a girl, it's silhouetted, but they're like on a rope swing, like diving off into a lake, like summer camp style. Ooh, that's a little, that's a little timid there, Emil Stein. Come on, you got to up your game, homie. This guy, this, this, your competition up here at Newbridge Church has a guy parkouring between buildings with the real threat of death. And you're simply risking a belly flop into a nice, crisp, cool lake at summer camp? Dude, up it. That's not audacious faith. That's weak. That is weak. That's milk toast faith, as my youth pastor used to say. <laughs> wow, this is everywhere. This is unbelievable. There's actually a church called Audacious Faith. And the A is a pyramid like they're worshiping the Egyptians, and the T in faith is a cross to say that they're Christians somehow. Bethany Baptist Church, audacious faith. Stephen Furtick. Here's a quote. Audacious faith is not passive. Neither is audacious prayer. Every aspiration you have in prayer needs an accompanying action. Otherwise, you're not really praying. You're just pontificating. You do the natural, tust, tust, trust God for the supernatural. What do you, I mean, in the worst part, oh wow, this guy sold out. A Little Slice of Heaven, How to Have Audacious Faith, second printing sold out. What, you printed five copies and your mom bought them? I mean, come on, dude. Uh, oh, this guy's got audacious faith, the Quinn Chapel AME Church. Um, he's got audacious faith, and his audacious faith is a goldfish leaping out of a bowl. There's two, four, there's six goldfish still in the little fish bowl, and there's a seventh goldfish who's decided to kill himself with his audacious faith. He is leaping out of the bowl, presumably going to land on the counter, and uh, die a slow, suffocating air death. Like... Nemo's dad on the dock before the bird said, get in my mouth if you want to live. Uh, maybe that's his faith. Maybe he's maybe he has seen Nemo through the fishbowl glass and he believes that there's going to be a pelican that's going to come rescue him and take him to his long lost son. He's tired of the fishbowl. He's tired of the routine. 
He's tired of seeing the same boring, annoying people his family and his friends have worn thin on him, and he is ready to get scooped up by a pelican and taken to the wide-open vistas of the Pacific Ocean. Sorry to tell you, pal, but uh, you're just going to flop around for maybe four or five minutes, take a couple gaspy fish face moves, and get flushed down the toilet after you bite the dust there. So yeah, this is what we're dealing with. Though this guy has taken the audacious faith and um, TWC daily. I wonder what TWC, the word, I bet it stands for the word something daily. I'm actually going to click on it just to see, just to see if my, my Christian um, abbreviation detectors are correct. Oh, where'd you go? Here we go. Come here. TWC daily, the word something. The word connects. Yes. The word connects. I should have gotten that connect in there. The word connects daily. So he is taking the Got Milk campaign. So he's he's clearly probably 45 or 50. He was a youth pastor in the 90s trying to be cool, but he just can't get on board enough with Furtick and his biceps. So he's melding his roots of the Got Milk campaign. Um, with uh, Which reminds me of an audacious faith story I'll share with you from my teenage years. <laughs> so he's got the Got Milk campaign. His his uh, little sermon series thing says, Got Faith. And it's subtitled, Audacious Faith is Taking Surprisingly Bold Risks in Response to God's Revelation. All right, the word daily. Uh, I'm going to increase your bounce rate there in your Google Analytics because I'm closing it. Peace. And if you don't know what a bounce rate is, Google it. Um, it's basically when you visit a site, realize it's crap, and close the browser without navigating more through the site. So there you go. Um, in fact, I should click on all these people and just bounce rate them through the roof. Uh, Leap, a sermon series on stepping into audacious faith. And it's got some guy doing like some... It doesn't look like he's in danger. He's just jumping... He like climbed up to a top of a cliff and he just leapt as high as he could and like did an air guitar, you know, leg split and then they snapped a photo. Um, Haven Community Church, a sermon series, Audacious Faith in Jehovah Jireh. Hey, at least they included the name for God in that one. Uh, Angel M. Becks. People who walk in audacious faith don't stop and pray. Audacious faith teaches us to push and obey. What, what are you, Happy Gilmore in the on the 19th tee? Rhyming at Shooter McGavin? I just may eat some hay, play all day. People who walk in audacious faith don't stop and pray. Oh, wait, let's see. Psalm says, be still and know that I'm God. Uh, other parts of the Bible, <laughs> which I'm okay with saying right now, uh, say, wait on the Lord. Um, Christ frequently left the crowds to go pray. So people who walk in audacious faith don't stop and pray. Audacious faith teaches us to push and obey. See, Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see what I'm saying, chief and listeners? The church is turning a vice into a virtue and not just a 
cultural virtue, but one that they are assigning spiritual worth to. And it is submarining and shipwrecking the faith of who knows how many Christians. Oh, that's actually Stephen Quirtic. Quirtic. Stephen Quirtic. That's that's a Stephen Furtick quote. I couldn't see the. It was so small in the thumbnail, but here's it. Here it is again. Um. Audacious faith is the raw material that authentic Christianity is made of. It's the stuff that triggers ordinary, level-headed people like you and me to start living with unusual boldness. Stephen Furtick. So you see what I'm saying here. They're taking. The, what, what does the Bible say? It says, godliness with contentment is great gain. The scripture says, remain in the calling wherein you were called. Um, the, the scripture says, do not be full of selfish ambition, but seek to live a quiet life, working with your own two hands so that you're not a burden to anybody else. These are the scriptural virtues. Consistency, quietness, contentment, faithfulness, long-haul service, doing the same thing faithfully over and over and over and over again, that's the biblical virtue. Yet these goats, or should I probably more, more wolves, who have infiltrated the pulpits in their bad sheep costumes, are their... I don't even know what the right word is. They're killing the biblical virtue, and they're replacing it with the ghastly corpse-like shell of this supposedly virtuous, audacious faith. It's really a travesty. It really is. Here's audacious faith. Sermons. The well. I guess the church is called the well. Their take on audacious faith is a stick figure breaking out and walking away. So you've got like a whole line of like bathroom men stick figures, you know, like when you see the bathroom and it says it's got the little outline of the man figure. Um, this particular one is breaking away. He's a different color, racists. Um, kidding. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Maybe he is racist. Um, and he's breaking away. So he's not standing there like, oh, I'm just a bathroom figure. He's like, I'm on the move, baby. I'm breaking away from this crap. Um, wow. Wow. The Audacious Faith Campaign at Gospel Church of Manila. That shouldn't surprise us. The Pacific's a little loony bins on uh, on the whole charismatic movement. Audacious faith is stronger than your perhaps. Oh, perhaps one day I'll become rich. Perhaps one day I'll move into a million dollar mansion. And, and actually remember that. I saw an interview. No, no, no. What was it? It was in the trough of the 2008 economy. I was... Uh, taking my lumps in the free market economy um, caused by the international banking cartel and their nefarious schemes to control all assets under the sun. <laughs> uh, and so I was in, a, I was in Barnes and I was in Borders before Borders went out of business. And the Joel Osteen book was sitting there on the front desk shelf uh, table when I walked in and it was called your best, I think it was it Every Day is a Friday? Maybe that's what it was. I think it was his Every Day is a Friday book. And I was like, you know what? Maybe Joel Osteen's got something for me here. I'm just going to cast a $10 seed to his ministry, and maybe the Lord will bless me as a result. Um, so I decided to pick up the book. Yeah, Every Day of Friday. Yeah, dog. Look how happy that guy is. He's got like the sun gleaming behind him. Just perfect hair. 
Wow, he's so happy all the time. Every day a Friday, baby. Yeah, you and the four-hour workweek guy should team up in hawking your deceptive wares. Um, every day a Friday. Wow. Yes. Just looking at him makes me happy. You know what? I'm, I'm not even going to read his stuff. I'm just going to put a big old picture of Joel Osteen's smile on my wall. Um, every day of Friday. You, I'm seriously, you got to, you got to, how to be happier seven days a week. You gotta, I'm not, you don't even need to read the book. Just print this out and put it on your wall. It's going to make you happy every single day of the week. Um, the sun gleaming, his $14,000 suit. Wow. His pearly whites. That guy's just happy. Every day is a Friday for him. Guaranteed. <laughs> Anyway, so I was like, I was in the dumps with economic stuff. And I was like, you know what? Maybe if maybe Joel Osteen's got something for me here, because right now every day is like slave labor camp, um, which is an overstatement, but that's how my soul felt at the time. So I open it up and he, he goes through this quick story of how he and his wife, whatever her name is, uh, what was her name? Well, Mrs. Mrs. Osteen, we'll just call her Mrs. Osteen for the moment. Um, he uh, he tells this story about how when they were freshly married and they were living in Houston and they, they were in a neighborhood that they didn't want to be in. So they wanted to move into this exclusive gated community in Houston where the house, houses were super expensive. And they said, we really wanted to move in there and we knew we would never be, be able to afford it. So we decided to take a step of audacious faith and walk around that neighborhood every day and pray that the Lord would give us a house in here every day until it happened. So I forget the exact details, but I think for like three months, six months, maybe a year, maybe longer, I can't even remember. They walked around the neighborhood, how they got through the gate, who knows? Maybe they like pokey little puppied it and went under the fence, dug a little hole. Uh, maybe they pretended to be maintenance people. He put on a little uh, like plumber hat and uh rotor rooter they dressed up like rotor rooter workers and uh, went through the gate anyway they walked around this neighborhood for months on end and prayed every night that god would put him in there this is what the audacious faith has become it's 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 giving it's giving a spiritual biblical stamp of approval on acquiring the world and i told one of my good friends this week i i, I really think the danger of this message getting permeated uh, throughout the, the culture of American Christianity is their, the, the message that's getting preached through their lifestyle and what's implicitly, what's getting implied in the preaching is that it's okay to have two loves. It's okay to be the rich young ruler. Look at us. Just look at our lifestyles, congregants. We love God. And through our audacious faith, he has let us love the world. And it's okay. Um, and I think that that is just, you know, you, you see, going back to the devil and depravity, you know, it used to be that everybody saw a devil under every bush in some of the charismatic circles. The older I get, I'm realizing, you know, there's a reason does the Bible call him the great deceiver? I'm pretty sure it does, but I'm going to Google check that. Um, great deceiver Bible. Pretty sure. I know it does. Um, uh, deceiver. Is that commentary being attached to actual scriptures? Huh. Maybe I'm, I think I might be throwing Puritan speak onto that. Um, that's a good question. I don't know. Does I don't know if the Bible ever calls him the deceiver. Here we go. Thirty-five Bible verses about Satan. 
Um, well, clearly he deceived the woman. Oh, and Adam even says that. He, he tricked, he deceived the woman. Um, oh yeah, he's a liar. Okay, fine. Yeah, okay. So, um, he's a liar. Christ calls him a liar. Um, stand against the schemes of the devil. There we go. Revelation 12, 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. So if, if he's deceiving the entire world, he would be the great deceiver. Um, I think that's what I'm, as, as I get older, that's what I'm realizing. The devil's work primarily consists in subtle deception. And that's a really sobering thought. And I think it is where real bravery, real courage, which I, I'm having a hard time um, putting Aristotle's take on bravery and courage into biblical terms. So forgive me, this is a, that's, that's probably an ill-fated uh, journey. Um, but I will say this, it's definitely not the place for this careless audacity of, oh, hey, just be audacious and God will give me what I want. Um, and that's the deception that's taking place. There, there is, there is a deceiving going on in the lives of these famous pastors, which is saying, "Hey, we, it's okay to have two loves. You can be the rich young ruler. Forget what Jesus said about it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Forget that. And besides, he wasn't even talking about an eye of a needle. He was talking about this gate that was called the eye of the needle and the camel had to stoop down low, but he actually fit. There's nothing miraculous going on there. Don't worry about it. The camel fit, it's no big deal. Um, they're saying it's okay to be the rich young ruler. They're, they're in essence disposing of First John when it talks about he who says he loves God but loves the world is a liar and the truth is not in him. Um, they're disposing of the the detailed three-pronged list of the love of the world as the lust of the eyes, the lusts of the flesh, and the pride of life. They're wholeheartedly consuming all three of those via this, uh, this catalyst, so to speak, of audacious faith. And you say, oh, that's a good word, catalyst, and it is. And it's no surprise that these clowns actually have something called the Catalyst Conference, which is I've made fun of for years with friends. Catalyst Leader. It has been worthy to travel for this conference from Europe. It has been an overall great experience, not only to learn, but be encouraged. Um, so yeah, the Catalyst, yeah, here we go. Catalyst Conference is a series of leadership conferences focused on a new generation of church leaders, empowering leaders who love the church. It should be, if they were going to be honest, it would be empowering leaders who love to acquire the world through the vehicle of the church. That's what that should actually be called. Empowering leaders who love to acquire the world. And it's accoutrements. That's a great word. Uh, via the church. And of course, their first link you can click on is become an insider. Yeah, you got to drink the Kool-Aid. Um, you've got to buy into the fact that it's okay to love the world um, while pretending to love God uh, through this whole message of audacity. So this this is a concern for me. I mean, we're crying out loud. They have Seth Godin speaking at these things. Are you joking me? What does Seth Godin have to do with the church? Nothing. Only thing he has to do with is helping 
these people acquire the world through this nonsense. Catalyst Monthly? I bet I can subscribe. I bet there's a fee. I hope there is. Please. You can tell how jaded and biased I am. Oh man, it's free. Catalyst, you're not helping me in my preconceived ideas that everything you do is about money. <laughs> I demand a change in your business model. I don't want your free newsletter. I want to pay for it. <laughs> Attend an event. How much do these events run? Buy tickets, baby. Ooh, wow. I can do a one day or I can do a master class. What's a one day, one day, one day? Holy freaking whatever you want to put in there. $149 for one day? In these stadiums that hold 10 to 20,000 people? I wouldn't normally do mental math. Uh, I could do the mental math on that. I don't really want to. That's like a million and a half dollars, I think. 10,000. 10,000 times 149 bucks. Yep, 1.49 milli. And that's, that's before the merch table gets busted out in the back to sell books on how to be audacious. Ooh, the master class. Oh, you can't even buy tickets for the master class. It's a exclusive day of learning um, about how to lead a multiplying movement through multi-site churches. I thought I was bad on alliteration. A master class on how to lead a multiplying movement through multi-site. Yep. And that one they don't even have pricing on. That's probably thousand bucks a ticket because you want to multiply your revenue. It's, it's what it all boils down to. They don't they don't care about souls entering the kingdom. They're all about multiplying the revenue and, and strengthening their grip on the world. So if you are a Christian listening to this, uh, don't fall for that great deception. Don't fall for the uh, message which is getting implicitly spoken via many, many, many church leaders spanning many, many veins of Christian tradition in America, uh, which says it's okay. You can have, you can love the world and love God. Just look at my lifestyle. And some pastors might not err as much on the money side and the fame side and the, and the ease of life side. They might err more on the power side, the, the intellectual pride side, the, the, the PhDs after their names and the academia um, there's lots of ways to love the world, and it doesn't just involve uh, too tight of skinny jeans and Lambos and and selfies with famous people. Um, <clears throat> uh, un unnamed several pastors. Uh, uh, oh, I can't even... Chad Veach! If you haven't Googled Chad Veach, you should look at him. He, he reminds me of like a early 19th early 20th century, like, European revolutionary. Like, he kind of looks like a, a Lenin. Like, looks like Lenin who got AIDS or something. I don't know. Definitely something weird going on with that guy. Um, but he loves the world. Uh, it's all about, it's all about the power. And, and it's, it's a combination and the percentages will vary. But it's power, money, prestige, influence, um, ease of lifestyle. And it's all supported via this bait-and-switch game of turning a vice called audacity into being a supposed virtue. So we really need to be aware of this. We need to push back against this. And the best way to push back against it is to start a podcast and rail against these people. <laughs> 
No, the best way to push back against it is to live a quiet, content, humble life. And it's probably not going to get much notice, and you're not going to get books, and you're not going to get speaking offers and things, and that's fine, because that's not the point. The point's not to parkour between two skyscrapers and hope you stick the landing. The point is for you to go and take your uh, troublesome teenage kid out for lunch after school and just sit down and say, hey, I know we've had our issues, but I love you. And, you know, I'm committed to you. I'm your parent. You know, let's let's do stuff together. It's, it's to take um, the, I don't know, neighbor that you don't get along with or a homeless guy you see. Just go, we're, I was outside a convenience store the other day and this homeless guy was just sitting there. He wasn't even asking for anything. And I said, hey, you hungry, man? He's like, yeah, sure, I guess. And he was strung out on something, and you know. And I went and I bought him a stinking hot dog meal, the wizard fingers off the rolly, you know, whatever. Um, and he was super, he was super stoked. And I shouldn't have told anybody because now I just burnt through my reward. Well, I'm gonna have to go do that again because I just spent it. I just spent it. Darn it! I could have put that in to earn some interest, and it's gone. Stinking bazooka gum, getting me at the. Circle K as a kid, could never keep that money, always had to buy those Bazooka Joes. So I need to go do more hot dog meals so that I can get more money and not blow it on Bazooka Joes. Uh, but my point is, it's in getting up if you, I don't know, if your job requires you to deal with a very troublesome boss. It, it, it's you going and being faithful in your job and being respectful and honoring your boss and working hard and trying to take care of people who might work for you. It involves just the same stuff, being faithful, being quiet, being humble. Um, so, and I think it's the hardest thing with being a Christian these days in America, you know, it, and, it, and it really is a shame that I'm even equating it to being difficult because when you read about Christians who are currently being persecuted in, a, in other parts of the world or who have endured persecution, at times throughout history, I'm talking, you know, getting your fingernails ripped off or your bones broken or getting burnt at the stake or whipped or all these things that, that saints have endured over the centuries. Um, it's really, I shouldn't even put this in a difficult category and I, I probably should remove it from that. But in terms of being a Christian in America, it's almost like uh, just a a, a spiritual and emotional exhaustion that you have to fight against um, with all of these this this three ring circus act that has become the the structure of American evangelicalism, and you know it gets it gets exhausting because if you try to parkour, you you eventually you quickly realize that it's a pyramid scheme structure to begin with. So. If you parkour and don't pull off the coolest, craziest stunt, people go, oh, well, you weren't audacious enough to begin with. So their, their, measuring, their measuring stick for their requirements for judging whether or not your faith is audacious enough is to the level of which you can acquire a following. So if you go out and start a church, in fact, I can think of a guy who I knew at the mega church who went out and started a church. And it's got 15, 20 people in it. Well, guess what? Guess who's not getting invited to participate in any of the church growth, church leadership, church planting, audacious faith seminars? That guy. 
Because clearly he didn't have enough audacious faith, or otherwise he wouldn't have 20 people in his church. Well, what happened to more angels rejoice in heaven when one sheep gets saved than when 99 are not lost? I mean, what happened to that whole dynamic? Um, so yeah, it's, it's just an exhaustion. It's a mental and a physical, mental and an emotional exhaustion, I think, that the Christian in America has to combat. Because the overwhelming tide of evangelicalism across almost every single vein of the church has, to some degree, bought into the audacity of the Christian's faith. And it is really bad, and it's very disheartening if you try to duplicate it. Because the only people who find success in going down that path are the ones who see material, visible growth in whatever they're doing. So if you start a women's ministry and you have five wives in it, nobody's going to give a flying flip and they're going to judge your, the, the, the lack of your audacious faith. But if you start a women's ministry and 15,000 people eventually get involved online with it and you're doing you know, video conferences with all these women and there's all these you know, local leaders and multi-site this and that and the other, oh, then it's a big deal. Um, you know, if you go and, and help an orphan in your community. Oh, it's not a big deal. But if that, if that turns into a movement, if that, if that act of mercy is multiplied into a movement, oh, then it's a big deal. And the bottom line is that most, I think it's the standard rule of thumb that acts of mercy are usually not multiplied. I mean, the whole the whole thing of Christ saying don't let don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I mean that that runs in the face of catalyst conference and multiplying mega massive movements of multi-site maleficence. Mal well, I don't know, I'm just coming up with dumb M words now. Um, your left hand doesn't know what your right hand's doing. How are you gonna go multiply that? How are you gonna package that and sell it in a conference? The only way you can do that is if you explicitly say, uh, 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 hey, right hand, you are not only are you going to know what your left hand is doing, we are going to tell every other hand in the world what, your, what you just did. And then we're going to multiply it. And then we're going to judge them and observe it and measure it and demand that their hands multiply and know what's going on. Um, so, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's a challenge, if there is a challenge of being a Christian in America, which pales in comparison to, to challenges of actual persecution. It's, it's, the, it's the game of, of not losing heart in the emotional and spiritual exhaustion of continually being implored to participate in a game which is a false game. The game of audacious faith is not biblical. It's filled with folly. And it is a catalyst. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a catalyst for your soul to latch on to loving the world. So you need to cut that off at the pass. I need to cut that off at the pass. And we need to focus on quiet, humble, anonymous, um, faithful service and, and doing works of ministry. First and foremost to our family, I'm not kidding you, 
go do a work of mercy to your family today. I'm sure there's somebody in your family who drives you bananas, who's, you know, you've had it up to here with. Go do something uh, merciful for them today and then do it again. And then do it again. And then do it again. That's our number one job. And then from there, outside of your family, look for people to do acts of mercy towards. An orphan, a neighbor, a single mom. Um, and just do them. And, and then live a life of five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, however long you have left on this planet. Live a life chock full of each day. Hey, each day, God's mercies are new. Each day, the bird doesn't worry about where its food's coming from. And each day, I'm going to go about being faithful in what God has put in front of me to do. It's going to include some sort of practical vocation, working for money work, perhaps. It's go and it's going to include some sort of act of or acts of mercy towards your family, towards friends, towards neighbors in your community. And that is the Christian life. It doesn't sell conference tickets and it's not multipliable. I can't, I can't squeeze revenue out of that. What am I going to do? Come into your home and demand that you give me a percentage of the mercy work you did because you stole it from me. I mean, that's just, it's, it, it's dumb. Um, so there's no, there's no business that can be spun out of this. Um, but I think that's the beauty of it because that's really what Christian ministry is all about. Um, which is making me think of, of Isaiah, you know, come and, and buy bread without money. Um, this whole concept of salvation and mercy not being attached to gold and silver. Um, you know, our, our, our salvation was not purchased with gold and silver or things that are perishable. Um, so we really need to push back against this. And the easiest way to push back against it, the most uh, valuable way to push back against this false uh ethic that's being driven into the church deeper and deeper is to just live faithfully, quietly, and consistently. So, uh, recapture the actual virtue of courage by living faithfully as a Christian. And uh, that's our best remedy to this. So, um, we are 52, 53 minutes into this, plus whatever the other stupid audio file I have to splice back in. Um, a minute 43, so what, we're like 55 minutes. So um, we're going to do 18 minutes of Hillsong now. And uh, let's get going here. Let's see if we can get some sort of like sweat TP uh, hallucination going on by listening to 18 minutes worth of um, 40. Can they get more people on stage? Like what happened to the guitar player, the backup singer, a bassist, a piano player, maybe a keyboardist if you really wanted to get loose on the stage, um, and a drummer? I mean, how many people can you cram onto a stage? Like, even the best bands in the world can't fit that many people on. So here we go, Hillsong. Wow, they can pack that thing out. This stadium easily has 30,000 people in it. And there's probably 15,000 people on stage trying to lead worship. Wow, they are in just euphoria. Just... <laughs> I have no idea what this is, but it's hilarious. It's it's on Billboard.com. Justin Bieber Hillsong Church. Carl Lentz celebrates rapid growth of Hillsong via his audacious faith. 
I mean, these people are like in the throes of ecstasy. And I, I will not get any more lewd than that. Yikes. Turn up the lights and, uh, like, be sober-minded, people. This is a little uncomfortable. Like, it almost looks like your farmer Fran on that slow-motion touchdown scene. Like, take your hands away from your chest there, worship leader guy. A little bit uncomfortable. So here we go, 18 minutes. I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. What do I want to do? Send myself into suicidal depression? Have a great day and be faithful. Peace!